Hey everyone, Happy New Year, Sean here. It's that time of year when we're all thinking about goals. Goals for ourselves, for our teams, for our companies. And as I was thinking about my own goals, it reminded me of an early episode that we did on this show with Karen Borchert, all about goals. Karen at the time was the COO of Flywheel, and today she is the COO of a company called Roca, but her lessons from the episode remain the same. So I wanted to bring that one back for you all because I think it's helpful at this time of year. Without further ado, here's Karen. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, welcome to Operations, the show where we look under the hood of companies and hypergrowth. My name is Sean Lee. It's that time of year where everyone is taking stock of what they've accomplished and not accomplished this year. And we're all in the midst of setting our goals for next year. We've got a blank slate, we're ambitious, maybe sometimes even a little naive. So to help all of us as we mold our goals for next year, I called in self-proclaimed goals nerd Karen Borchert for some help. Karen is the COO of Flywheel, a managed WordPress hosting platform based out of Omaha, Nebraska. And in my conversation with Karen, we go deep on the goal-setting framework that she uses at Flywheel, a special quadrant that she's built out to help you plot all of your goals. And if you stick around until the very end, you'll get to hear about Karen's connection to Hamilton creator Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'm not kidding. It's awesome. Stick around. But first, let's set the scene. You should know that in the three years since Karen joined the company in November of 2016, the employee count there has nearly tripled and now stands at over 150 people. And with that progression, Karen has found that it's been basically like working at a completely different company every single year. I came to Flywheel in late uh, 2016. So like you said, just about three years ago. And when I got here, we were really new to a lot of things. We had really just putting together our first leadership team, really the first concept for management in the company. At that time, we were about, about 60 people at the time. And until then, it had been, like you said, a real all hands on deck, very, very, very scrappy company. Everybody did everything and it was just kind of dug in and got the work done, which was awesome. It was one of the big things that drew me to the company is that it was a company of doers, a company of people that just wanted to make amazing things happen every day. And they came in and they did that. So, but 60 was sort of right at the point where, you know, there were true teams forming or, you know, an actual full marketing team, a sales team, a product team, and we'd taken funding our first A round, not very long before that. And as part of that, there was a lot of you know a lot of hiring around leadership for different functions and, and different areas of the company and through that you know we sort of had this this ad hoc leadership team or management team that was starting to form but nobody really knew what that was like so we we spent a lot of time really just kind of continuing to kind of tackle the work as it came and a lot of my role when I first started was tackling work that didn't have an owner yet but was a need as we were growing and then we didn't have a budget that was my first project was our our first budget and we didn't you know there are a lot of things that we just hadn't ever done before so we just tackled those things that was a lot of my job early on it was that firefighting or that 
jump on whatever problem is, is going to be the biggest thing this week. And then as we have grown and as we've come along, a lot of that work has, you know, that evolved to what I call the parachute in phase, where I think this happens in a lot of a lot of high growth companies where being an area of the company that needs not just a little bit of help or a single project, but a look at and a question of how do we scale this? How do we take this larger? So I did that for a long time in the support and customer experience side of the house and helped helped that team. And then we promoted an extraordinary leader into the VP of customer experience role. And that made it really simple and easy for, for me to kind of to step out of that. And that was great because it was just at the same time where we were moving our, one of our founders who really built the sales and marketing departments, he moved him over to a product role. And that left a space in the sales organization that really needed filling. And the sales organization was at a time where it really needed scaling. So I kind of jumped into that. And so for that first, you know, year or two, it was a lot of big, audacious projects and work from a departmental level of how do we scale this function of the business, where I spent a lot of time, six to 12 months in leadership or in in those roles. And then in the last six months or so, and in last, you know, probably 12 months, I guess, it's been a lot more about helping to empower leaders with the right tools. We now have a, a pretty extraordinary leadership team. And then an also so extraordinary management team within underneath that. And that has been really exciting to see see Flywheel grow a group of managers and leaders that are truly leading the company and their teams. And so a lot of my role now is supporting them and, and helping to kind of synthesize all of the things that they're trying to do and work toward, help them set goals, help them know how they're doing against those goals, help them tell the story of what they're doing in their departments and you know kind of get them the resources and the support that they need to do that. So it's been really fun to sort of progress in that way, but it's been a, an evolution. Every each, each of the three years has been a really different, really different year. In just three years, a lot has changed for Karen and her team. If you're listening to this while working at a company in the early stages of hypergrowth, I think you can identify with the all-hands-on-deck, super-scrappy approach that Karen is describing. And if you're working at a company that has been in hypergrowth for a little bit, I think you can identify with the challenges of having to start operationalizing some of the early work you did because the, hey, everyone does everything approach is starting to break. I think a common trap for people going through this transition is that employees start to get nostalgic for the way things used to be, right? And especially for those early employees in your company, it can be hard for them to let go of the way things used to be and embrace the way things are. And Karen is the one at Flywheel who has to tackle that challenge head on. I think for us, it's been really about honoring exactly what got us here. We've said a lot this year, the phrase, what got us here won't get us there. That concept or idea is that it honors, you know, what got us here is significant. It's a big deal what we did when we were really early. And I I even feel terrible saying we, I tend to say they, because, you know, what the original 12, 20, 30, 40 people that were here, they really did do every single function every single day. When I got here, our, our founders were still taking evening 
on-call shifts for support and, and answering support tickets on Saturday nights. So, and you have to honor that. There's a huge contribution and a big deal in that. And it helped build our DNA as a group of people who are doers, who are unafraid of getting in the weeds, who are willing to do whatever it takes to get something done and be scrappy. We've really tried to make sure to honor that and make sure that that doesn't go away. That doesn't. It, that's still a huge part of the story and it's a huge part of our DNA. But we also know that the other side of it, you know, what got us here won't get us there is that it takes a new set of tools to scale at the size that we are today, uh, to lead teams in that way, to to inspire teams with a vision that we used to count, you know, we used to count on our founders to really describe the vision of the entire thing to everyone. And now our leaders rely on their teams to, you know, those leaders are, are, are casting that vision and it's aligned with the overall vision for the company. But each department also and team also has to has to really cast a vision for the individual contributors there that is exciting and that gets them mobilized and motivated to get going in the morning. That's just something we didn't need when we were 12 people, but we need it now. I think generally that team is a lot of our leadership team is, is part of that original group and it's it's amazing to have that history and that deep history with our leadership team. It's also exciting to see some of the newer leaders who have come in in the last couple of years and to see kind of what they add to it also. This is so, so important. Karen has identified that her team has now reached the size where vision can't just come from the founders. Vision needs to be communicated and communicated effectively by each team leader. And while I've never been a founder myself, I have to imagine that this is terrifying for them. What if the wrong vision gets communicated? What if the communication is poor or the vision of one team contradicts with that of another? And that was why I was so excited to talk to Karen because she spends huge amounts of her time aligning her team's visions and their goals. And she helps enable leaders to articulate their goals in a cohesive way. Now, every company has a different framework for goal setting. You've got OKRs, you've got SMART goals, BHAGs. So first, I just wanted to understand the framework that Karen and the Flywheel team use to get everyone on the same page. So we use the OKR framework we have since we started. As far as uh, you know, as far as overall frameworks, that's that's what we use. And the reason we do is because of the concept of the OKRs employs around kind of cascading goals. So the company objectives have key results, and those key results become the objectives of each department, and they develop their key results. And so the idea or the thesis we went in with as far as goal setting for our teams is that every single single flywheeler should understand their impact on the business every single day. And that's partly because that's part of the value proposition we bring to our employees, right? You come to work at Flywheel because you you can know your impact on this business. You, you know, go work for any other, you know, really big company in Omaha and you may know your impact on your team or even your department, but it's harder to see your impact on the business overall. And, and Flywheel, we're still, you know, we're very fast growth and we're a different kind of place to work in that way. And so we, we really want our teams to be able to see and understand how the work they're doing today impacts the business's goals and vision. So that's why we chose that framework. Uh, we really we really like it overall. It's been it has been an evolution in and of itself. And so we've developed 
some things that that really help us understand more about that. And then I'm a sort of a, a nerd about goals and really enjoy you know thinking about why some goals work and why some don't. And so we start to apply some of that thinking to our goals on a regular basis and talk about why things work and why things don't, and then how we then set better goals and and set ourselves up for better success in the future. And we talk a lot about you know how audacious do you set your goals and do you set these absolute reach goals? You know that was a, a really hard thing for people to wrap their heads around really early on when we started with OKRs and goal setting at Flywheel in 2017 is when we when we started it and the idea that you set your goals so high that you kind of want to hit a six or a seven. It's just kryptonite for overachievers, right? It's a really painful concept to think about being at a 60 to 70% for a lot of us. For a while, there would be goals that people would set and they were like, well, my six, seven threshold is, is this metric, but I'm setting it at this. But if we hit the six, seven threshold, we're going to consider that 100% of the seven. And it, it was, it was ridiculous because it's really hard, that's, but it's, it, that's a hard thing to do. And I, I think, you know, different teams have different ways of setting goals. So it was, it was, it has not been a super smooth process. We've learned a lot through it. And there have been times where we have gone an entire quarter and just not set goals for a quarter because the business was moving too fast or things were going crazy. And, you know, we didn't score them. We didn't set them. We didn't talk about them. And then we'd come back around in a quarter or so to bring it back. And that's, it's been a learning curve for us for sure. But it's been overall good framework this year. We we really dug into the idea that at the company level, um, you know, we had four objectives and underneath those four objectives, 13 total kind of key results that were the 13 big things we're trying to do this year in the company. And we said, we said, okay, for each of these goals that are at the company level, we're going to assign an owner. And that owner might not be the person that that runs that department or that leads that effort overall. It might be, but sometimes it's going to be somebody who is really passionate and excited about it and who works on it in some way, but isn't necessarily the owner of that department. So we have an individual contributor who's a who's a recruiter and she owns our diversity and inclusion goal for for all. So her job is to really enlist and get support, widespread support cross-departmentally for that company-level goal and to help each department work, diversity inclusion work into their own department-level goals. And that's really cool to see because, you know, we have with that, we have a a department head in our in our customer success department and she owns the churn goal. And obviously, you know, she can't own all of she can't control all of churn and how many customers leave leave flywheel, but she has taken ownership of really deeply understanding it. And because of her work, she has influenced work in product and in finance and on her own teams, of course, and customer success. But that cross-departmental ownership was new this year and it's been really neat to see that kind of work because it does create a much more cross-departmental effort. And I would imagine it gives them kind of license to take real ownership, right? And and it gives them that ability to build confidence around this initiative that they're working. Or I think in the recruiting example, maybe there's a a topic that they're particularly passionate about, right? Like these are other ways that they can contribute in a way that is going to be more meaningful to them than just checking a box, Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, one of our big areas of learning, that's exactly right. One of our big areas of learning the first year or so of 
goal setting was around the idea of dependencies and inter- interdepartmental dependencies, where we'd have people who would set extraordinary goals, but they were completely dependent on product launching a certain thing by a certain day or sales selling a certain amount. And so then when those dependencies didn't happen, it was really frustrating and disappointing to the people who had set these goals that have those dependencies. But rather than saying, okay, nobody set any goals with any dependencies, which basically gives everybody permission to operate in a silo, we said, no, okay, so this model of having that cross-departmental ownership over the top goals of the company, not only does it pretty much gives permission to each company owner to say, to really bring those dependencies together and to say, okay, if we're going to move the needle on this goal, I'm going to need marketing to do this and sales to do this and product to do this and finance to do this. And it kind of gives that owner permission to enlist that cross-departmental work. That's been really neat to see. So it kind of gives a framework for those dependencies rather than trying to make goals a a dependency-free environment. One of my favorite things about talking to Karen is that she doesn't pretend like all of these goal-setting exercises at Flywheel have all gone perfectly. She recognizes places that they had shortcomings and even said, look, there have been some times where we missed an entire quarter of goals because we were trying to figure this stuff out. So if the self-proclaimed goals nerd isn't perfect in this area, don't beat yourself up for not being perfect either. One of the areas I wanted Karen's help in was What does the timeline look like for these goal-setting exercises? I've been part of OKR processes at previous companies, and one of my challenges was always how long the process would take. We'd be a month into the quarter and still trying to hash out what that quarter's goals were going to be, especially when you're working on all the interdepartmental dependencies that Karen was talking about. So I asked her advice on how to deal with these timeline problems and how she designs her process. And like anything else, she said this has been an evolution for them at Flywheel as well. And they're doing something a little different this year. For this year, uh, what we're doing as far as this right now, this week is we've done we've done a bunch of work as an executive team on the sort of company level objectives or pillars that are the big areas of focus for next year for us. And we've done that work, and then this this week we're getting a little bit more granular with that with our executive team and our leadership team around what are those company level objectives and key results. So you know probably the. 10 to 12 things we really, really want to accomplish. So by by mid-November, beginning of November to mid-November, we'll have that. And then in December, we will do workshops with each department and each department will go through the exact same process, which is which is a, a learning that we had is that we used to just tell the department, set your OKRs, good luck with that. And we found that they came in at really different levels of granularity. They were really different in the way that they came about those. We said, you know, would it help to have a single process? And everybody said, oh my gosh, yes, please. So we are running everybody through the same workshop that will really look at the company level goals and the company level work that we wanted do and say, how is our department going to drive this? How is our department going to move the needle on some of these goals? Not all of them, but on some of these goals and which ones. And then we will work in a set by the end of December, mid-December. Each department is actually going to lay out an entire year's worth 
of OKR by quarter. And that's new. We've always set them for the first two weeks of every quarter. We have scored our OKRs from last quarter, written a narrative about our OKRs for our department, and then set our new OKRs. And so the first two weeks of the quarter has always been that time. But it always feels like we are really far into the quarter before we have really good set OKRs. So we're going to try this this year. I'll, I'll report back in a year and tell you about that. But what we're going to try is setting out basically a roadmap of OKRs that we believe push us towards those company goals in each department. And then every quarter, rather than starting with a fresh sheet of paper on OKRs, we'll actually just start with the roadmap and the OKRs that we set out and say, is this still correct? What needs to be changed? What needs to be tweaked? And hope to really bring that kind of editing process down um, so it's really succinct and quick. The whole idea of OKRs is, is that you spend time working on the work, not on the goal framework. We don't want people to spend a ton, you know, have to feel like they're spending a ton of time every quarter trying to figure out what we're working on this quarter when their teams are sitting right there working on the things that they're already working on. So that doesn't work as well. So we're going to we're gonna set them out for the year in roadmaps, and then we'll continue that quarterly, uh, monthly and quarterly cadence. So on a monthly basis, everybody gives their OKRs of two scores. One is actual progress. So where are we on this goal, on this key result? And then what's our confidence, high, medium, low, for it being successful for the quarter? And that confidence score, that's not really a part of the OKR, the original OKR framework, but it's really helped us. So when we do that, when we look at things on a monthly basis, we know, okay, OKRs are falling here. And this is, you know, this is kind of where they are. But these OKRs are really high confidence for being successful for the quarter. And then these ones are really low confidence and might need some additional support. My favorite part of Karen's advice here, spend time working on the work, not the goal framework. Spend time working on the work. Simple as that. But let's face it, we we all have goals at work that we wish weren't on our list. You know the ones I mean, the ones you have to do because the business needs them to be done, but you put off doing them because they're just the worst. Luckily for us, though, in addition to this new confidence score that Karen has introduced to us, she has also developed her own unique way of grouping and categorizing her goals. And what initially started as a personal system for herself, she is now incorporated into her professional system. And like any good ops person would do, Karen has created a quadrant to help us understand. I love a two by two quadrant like like any operations person does. I started to think about goals a while back and, and I was giving a talk about goals and about the idea of what happens when you fail a goal. What happens when this huge thing that you've put in front of you doesn't happen? And you know, where does that go? What do you do with it? And how do you set goals for the future that that you're proud of and that are audacious enough to be exciting, but that you can win at and that you feel feel great when you when you do. And so in thinking about that, I put together together this little quadrant. And on one axis, on your y-axis, if you will, is sort of on a scale of one to 10, I think sort of what I call the effortless scale or the or the joy of the work scale. So at a 10, it is the kind of work that you love doing that just it brings you tons of energy. It's super energizing. It feels almost effortless. Not that it is effortless, just that it feels it feels like it's right in your wheelhouse. Like absolutely 
you know, just the, the, that sort of excellent effortless work that we all love when we find. And on the one end of that scale is the, the grind, like the, the really effortful, like, yes, you can do it, but man, it's hard. It takes a lot of energy out of you. It is, you know, it's the really, really difficult stuff. So that's kind of that scale, that one to 10 scale, effortful to effortless. And then on the other one, on the other axis is flexibility with the result. And I used to call this tolerance for failure, but I have started calling it flexibility with the result because I think people feel better about it. On the one end of the scale is total inflexibility. So the goal is extremely binary or it has a very, very, very clear definition of success. And it's that, it's that or nothing. We have lots of goals that are that are like that. And, you know, if you say, like, I want churn to be at, at X percent, then, like, that's a pretty binary result, right? That's a pretty inflexible goal. And then on the, on the 10 end of the scale is a lot of flexibility with the result. So you say, you know what, I, you know, I want to run a marathon, but I, I just want to run a marathon. I just want to do it. I, I don't have a really specific time. I'm okay if I walk a little. I'm okay with lots and lots of different things. There's lots of ways that I could feel really successful with this. So that really high level of flexibility. And I think once you kind of, when, when you put those two concepts together, that effortless and effortful and flexibility and inflexibility with the result, you basically end up in kind of four quadrants. So I apologize if this is boring, but here we go. So the, the high effort, like the super effortless, really energizing work that has really inflexible results. So that top, that top left that are just the things that you love doing, they're right in your wheelhouse, but man, you got to hit the number. That's like kind of the big achievement quadrant, right? It's the place of where you can do your best work and do amazing things, but you got to do it to hit the number. That's that's where your, you know, kind of your revenue goals go if you're, you know, in sales. You know, it's it's that kind of stuff where it's big achievement. And then right below that in the bottom left is the really high effortful, really, really tough work with really inflexible results. Those are really hard goals, but they drive extraordinary results, right? Like those are just results goals. Those are the kinds of things that you're like, man, this is going to be difficult. This is going to be super hard, but we're going to do it and we're going to hit the number. You know, it's very, very satisfying when you do it, but it's also extremely draining, right? So like if all of your goals are in that bottom left quadrant, you're you're kind of screwed as far as, as, far as feeling really, really great. So you've got that big results quadrant on the bottom left. And then the ones on the right are where you put goals that are a little bit more about learning or creativity. So that bottom right where you're very flexible with the result, but it's really hard work, right? It's that low end on the, on the effortless scale, but really flexible with the result. That's where I call those. Are, that's the big learning quadrant. That's where you put things where you're like, man, I have no idea how to do this. I don't know how to build this. I don't know what to do. It's going to take a ton of effort, but I'm going to be cool with whatever I've got here. This is, I'm going to learn something through this. That's where I put the marathon for sure. It is hard work and it's difficult, but, but you're going to learn something from it and your result can be a little bit flexible. You can feel good at lots of different levels of success. And then in that top right is, you know, what I call the big creativity quadrant. So it's the stuff where you can be flexible with result. You don't even quite know what winning looks like in it, but you can picture something amazing and you love doing the work. The work is super high energy. And that's like sort of the big creative quadrant where you can feel really open and flexible with the result, but you know how to do the work and it's in your wheelhouse and you love to do it. And that's where you see some really big creative things happen. So that's the quadrant. That's my dorky goals quadrant. I use it, I use it 
personally, but we're also starting to use it at Flywheel because what you want to see is understanding you take every goal you've ever set and you plot them on that quadrant and you look at the ones that you have achieved and the ones that you failed at. It can teach you a lot about where you're winning and where you're failing. Maybe the, the learning quadrant is just not the place for you right now. Maybe you need to be in the creativity quadrant or maybe you're really just driven by those results and you need to be in that results quadrant. That can really help you develop goals that you can that you can feel amazing about and win at and that fit really well with where you are right now. And that might change over time and it can change for departments. You know, if your department is setting goals and all of your goals are in this kind of big creativity quadrant, that might be good. That might be good because you might create some extraordinary things. But if what we need for the business is some is some results, some clear results, we might need to pull some of those goals over to the other quadrant and think about how to reframe them or rethink about them in that way. So you're actually starting to map that quadrant based off of kind of what phase your team or you individually might be in, in terms of the company's growth or your individual growth. Yeah. Yeah. So as part of our workshops this year for our departments, we are going to take all of the OKRs that they set for the year. And then we have their scores on all of them so far for the year, which ones on a quarterly basis, which ones were a win and which ones weren't. And then we're going to we're gonna have each department kind of plot them against those two axes and then see where their green goals are, and where their red goals are, right? Like where did we win and where did we not win? And what does that tell us about how we set those goals and what we want to think about setting for next year? And also, you know, kind of what does it tell us about our team and what's changed since the time we set those goals on our team? So it just kind of opens up a conversation about about what makes a great goal because everybody sets goals to win them, right? Like nobody sets goals to end up feeling bad about themselves later. So we're just kind of trying to drive towards the goals that are that are going to both move the needle for the company, but also feel really energizing and exciting for the teams. Nobody sets goals to feel bad about themselves later. Not a unique idea, but also not something that we're usually considering when crafting our goals in the first place. So I'm literally sitting here drawing out my own quadrants and filling them in as Karen is describing them to me. And if you're not operating a motor vehicle right now, I'd encourage you to do the same. What I wanted to know, though, was if Karen had found any patterns by plotting her own goals and the goals of others inside of these quadrants. Is there anything that we can take away from this exercise? I've actually run this exercise with some different groups and all the way to the point where we had a huge data visualization that we built in real time at a talk I gave where everybody had red flags for a goal that they didn't win, that they didn't achieve, and a green flag for one that they did. And then they plotted them on the actual visualization. It was really fun. And we looked at them overall to see kind of where where people set goals and where people and, and where people won. And one of the things we saw was the goals that were in that top right quadrant, that, you know, really high, high energy for the work, but also flexible with the result, that really big creativity quadrant. There were very few goals set there, actually. People kind of, I think maybe because they're perhaps they feel less measurable or they feel squishier or something. Um, there weren't very many goals set up there, but the ones that were almost, were almost always a win. So people who, who set those goals and said, no, I really want to I really want to do something in this. I want to develop a new artistic skill is a good one. Tons of energy, but pretty flexible with the result. Like doesn't matter if it's painting or pottery. Like I just want to, I just want to develop a, a new artistic skill. We saw people really like people really wanted those goals where we saw the most goals set 
was in that really effortful, that bottom left quadrant, really effortful, no flexibility with the result. And that was an almost 50-50 split of winning and losing those goals. And I, I think that that can be, that sort of feels aligned with what I imagine might happen in our exercise with our departments is that I think we set a lot of goals with really, really binary results sometimes. And that's, that's good. Again, they can create big results that way. But if all of your goals are there, you might miss the opportunity for larger creativity or larger learning on your team. And I can see for operations in particular, you know, 2020 is around the corner. It's end of year. We're starting to do or in the middle of annual planning for next year. And so I could see a lot of those planning exercises in that bottom left quadrant, right? So territory planning comes to mind, right? In terms of having that very low flexibility, but an enormous amount of work. Should I be thinking about either for myself or for my team, actively trying to limit how many of those bottom left quadrant goals we are setting for ourselves? It's a good question. I would say it's less about limiting any quadrant of what you're setting. But if you think about it on, you know, from a, the perspective of horizon planning, most of what you're going to do in the bottom left quadrant is going to affect 2020. And it's not going to probably affect very much in 2021 or 2022. So for companies that are, or, or teams that are looking at a, a larger, longer, longer scale or a big picture, you know, let's dream up a new product. Let's really dig into and get super clear about what our customers care about and what our customers want. Those are big, open-ended, flexible with the result sorts of things, but they can be really energizing and really fun. And they can be the kinds of things that you're going to act on and create super measurable, clear results for next year. And so my general overall theory is that, you know, you want your goals to, to span it a little bit. You, you don't want your goals to all be in one quadrant is what I would say. If you really care, if the long term is really, really important to you and you want to see you know, you're really in it for the long game, you want to continue to build products and delight customers and build, you know, sort of what FY will we call it the beacon on the hill company. So the team that everybody wants to work for all around the area, that's, that's the stuff that happens kind of in those big learning and big creativity quadrants that it's it's harder to be quite as binary with those sorts of things because you want to be open to all of the possibilities for the long term but the results are really important for right now right you know it's our board members and and investors don't ask about a lot of questions in the big creativity quadrant (laughs) they've got a lot more questions about the results about the about the bottom left quadrant so i think it's good to have a mix and i think it's good for team members and individuals to have a little bit of a mix themselves of what they're thinking about and where they're putting their work because nobody wants to be in the super high effortful, but also, you know, not terribly energizing work all the time. That's a, that's a good plan for burnout. So having a mix of those different goals that push them towards creativity, towards learning, towards achievement and towards the results can be really positive that way. Yeah. I like the way you frame that as almost like a, like a talent or workplace differentiator, right? Like every job in the entire world has the bottom left quadrant, right? But not every job in the entire world has those two right-hand quadrants. And so thinking about it that way as a way to attract people and retain them and develop them on your team, I think is, is super interesting. And this is something that you, you, you said before, you're, you're a self-proclaimed goals nerd. Like this is not just at work for you, right? Like this is, this encompasses your, your whole life. That's right. There are two days of the of the year that are the best days. One of those days is the day that you buy all of your school supplies to go back to school, which I can attest to 
also a day for adults that is perfectly great to go ahead and go to go to the store and get all of your school supplies. Um, I love new school supply. I love new notebooks and new pens day. And I also love New Year's Day because it's the day that I sort of solidify and set my goals for the year. It's a holiday in more than one way for me. I love to see, reflect back on, on goals set for the year before. I love the possibility and opportunities that come with setting something audacious out there and saying, okay, we're going to we're going to do something big this year and and let's let's see you know let's dream up what that can be and set a course for for getting there so um, yeah I, I definitely do that in, in my personal life as well I can totally relate my wife one of the biggest days of her year is when she gets to buy her planner for the following year and that, that's that's an enormous moment <laughs> so are you are you already do you have your personal 2020 goals in the works is that like its own OKR process you're getting digging into it yeah, we're working through it. It's a, it's a work in progress, but it is a it's definitely in the works. I have some contenders. I have mostly I've looked at spent a lot of this year looking at or time recently looking at what I set out for this year and kind of what worked and what didn't, you know, what what was unexpected and and what things came up that I wasn't expecting to spend time and energy on that I did and how that kind of ends up reflecting in the other goals and things like that. And one of the things I think is most interesting about your review on this is I watched that talk that you were talking about. It's an amazing talk. It's on YouTube. We'll put a link in for people to find it. But one of the things you say in in your talk at the end is that imperfection is commitment's secret weapon. What does that mean? Imperfection is commitment's secret weapon. So what that means is that embracing imperfection, embracing the idea of, of not every goal hitting or not every goal being exactly right is the way that we find our way to the next commitment. So imperfection always teaches us something. It always gives us information. And so those of us who say, okay, I'm going to create these commitments. I'm going to do this. I'm going to see imperfection in them. And then they're going, there's going to be moments of imperfection in, in some of these commitments and some of these goals. It becomes sort of the the thing that nobody else has, where everyone else is focused on a perfect result, and potentially in that case, staying in that bottom left quadrant always, that is very binary, that is very much a grind, that, that can be kind of a painful place to be. Those who say, you know what, I'm going to get flexible with the result on this one, or I'm going to find a way to, to do this work in a way that feels really effortless to me, that will sometimes create imperfection. And that imperfection will create huge learning and huge creativity. And that takes us back to, to even greater opportunities. Before we go, at the end of each show, we're going to ask each guest the same lightning round of questions. Did you stick around for the Lin-Manuel Miranda reference? All right. Ready? Here we go. Best book you've read in the last six months? I really love Malcolm Gladwell's new book, Talking to Strangers. It's the, the framing up of the way we think about the idea of people who are different than us was a really, really, really interesting look. I loved it. All right. I'll have to check that one out. Favorite part about working in ops? Oh, gosh. There's so many. <laughs> Goals. Oh, okay. Sorry. No. Actually, my very favorite part about working in ops is getting to work with extraordinary leaders. I get the chance every day to to dream and scheme and then synthesize and build roadmaps with all of the leaders in our company. And that is, uh, that's a really extraordinary day. Just if you look at any given day, it's a pretty extraordinary way to spend a day is to really get and understand the the minds and strategies and ideas that these leaders are bringing to the table. So that's my, that's my favorite part. They're amazing. 
That's an amazing answer. I don't think we've heard uh, anyone say that before. And I completely agree. So that's a, that's a great one. All right. Flip it over. Least favorite part about working in ops. Oh, waiting for results. I'm the least patient person you've ever met in many, many ways. And I, I think a lot of times in, in ops, one of the things that you have to do is decide on and implement a strategy. And then you, you have to let it do its thing. You can't can't change strategy every every five seconds, you know, because you don't see a result immediately. But I do like results and I do like to see progress. So I, I think the patience for letting a strategy settle in and letting people get a chance to process it and work that strategy and build with it a little bit is something I, I wouldn't say it's my least favorite, but it's the thing I have the hardest time with. Someone who impacted you getting the job you have today. This is a strange answer, but I will say it anyway. The person that impacted me the most in getting the job I have today is Lin-Manuel Miranda. That is because when I was in the job I had before this, I was in a job that I wasn't, I wasn't challenging myself very much and I wasn't doing things that I was really, really proud of and energized by and excited about. And I heard for the first time the full original Broadway cast recording of Hamilton and I stopped dead in my tracks on a 10-mile run to marvel at that work and that creative accomplishment of his. And I quit my job because I decided that I wasn't doing something that I would marvel at someday that I was truly proud of. And so I quit my job. I flew to Chicago. I saw Hamilton. I realized that I decided that it was the right choice to make. And then I set about finding a job that I could do something that I would marvel at someday and be really proud of. That is an incredible story. I need your number so that if I'm ever having a down day, I'm just going to call you and have you retell me that story and just continue to feel like that's amazing. It's a, it's a pretty extraordinary creative work. So I was really moved by it. Incredible. All right. Last one. One piece of advice for people who want to have your job someday. I would say stay, stay in the weeds, which is, is funny. One of the, one of the biggest pieces of advice my CEO has for me is to, is to learn how to get out of the weeds a little bit, which is, which is fine. That's true. But I think the importance of understanding deeply the problems that you're, that you're focused on or that you're looking at with somebody else or that you're helping solve for an organization in any way is really about actually understanding what's happening at the heart of it, you know, understanding the heart of the matter. And so if that means, you know, making 20 phone calls to canceled customers to understand better why customers cancel, then that's what you do. And if it means really deeply understanding the the product uh, by building with it, that's what you do. And, you know, there's, I think there's no work that is close to customers and close to teams that is that is not worth doing in this role because it, it all of it informs the the larger strategy and the, that you know I think everybody gets excited about the idea of being in this sort of strategic you know setting strategy for a department or for a company kind of role but at the end of the day the most important thing is is understanding clearly exactly what is happening at the customer level at the employee level at the level that where the where it's the true heart of the matter and that's that's my advice is to, to stick with the heart of the matter. Thank you. 
Thanks so much to Karen Borchert from Flywheel for joining me as this week's guest. And thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, if you want to learn more about Karen, we put the link to that YouTube talk that I was talking about into the show notes. It's an amazing talk about commitment and imperfection. Highly recommend it. Uh, you can learn a little bit more about Karen. Also, if you want to join the hundreds of people who have become certified in conversational marketing, go to drift.com insider and you can get certified as well. Amazing content on there. Hundreds and hundreds of people have been posting their, their certificates online. It's been amazing to watch. Check that out. And last but not least, if you're enjoying the show, please, please leave us a six-star review on Apple Podcasts, six-star reviews only. That's going to do it for me. Thanks very much. We'll see you next time. 